Good morning. Good morning. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we just ask for your presence in this time as we open up your word and as we uh, just seek to have your wisdom speak to our hearts, God. We want to be the type of people that make a difference in this world. We want to be the type of church that is marked by your love, by your kindness. Today, God, as we explore um, this lesson found in 1 Peter, we trust and believe that it's not my words or how smart I am, how smart we are, God, but we trust that there is power in your word. And we trust that the power in that word will speak to our hearts in a way that only your word and your power can. God, strengthen me and embolden me this morning as I stand here and lend to me a little bit of your wisdom that I might pass it on to those who listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm known as a techie person in most of the circles that I find myself. When I say techie person, I bet you know what I mean. That, become, that has become a term that just about everybody knows. When somebody has an issue with a printer or a phone or a computer, I am the type of person that they ask for help. And each of you... Uh, probably have this person in your life if you aren't this person for other people. Perhaps it's a grandchild or uh, a daughter or a son. Maybe it's your husband or your wife. Maybe it's a person from your work. But you know what I mean when I say techie person, don't you? When you have an issue, you ask them for help. And I would say about 95% of the time when somebody asks me for help, with their phone, with their computer, with their printer, whatever it might be, I give them the same advice. Turn it off and back on again. I mean, seriously, this fixes probably 95% of the problems that we have with, with our technology. It's, it's such a joke inside of the technical community that there's a very well-known show out of Europe about an IT department, and the running bit on the show is every time they answer the phone, they say, IT, IT department, have you tried turning it off and back on again? <laughs> it's something that just simply works. It works with technology. You turn it off and back on again, and it seems to go back to what it was supposed to be doing in the first place, doesn't it? But have you ever wondered why? Why is that the case? Why is such a simple solution uh, so helpful in that circumstance? Well, it's because when you turn your phone or your computer off and back on again, what does it do? It goes back to its original set of instructions. It's original programming, so to speak. And as we use our phones, we download apps and we interact with things on the internet. We download files, we use email, we use all these different things. And what we're doing when we do that is we're adding to the programming, the original programming of the computer or of the phone, right? And as we do that, we add little bits of things that maybe build on what the computer or the phone does. But after a while, a lot of the space is taken up and we might get some things on there that we didn't really want or we didn't know what they did. 
and they begin to conflict with what the system is supposed to be doing. And in some cases, we might even get a virus or some sort of malicious bit of code that stops the system from working the way that it's supposed to altogether. Over the past two weeks, my dad has been speaking to you about this idea of a refresh or a, a, a refresh. He, he talked about this idea of lasting first impressions, right? This idea of curb appeal or what do we look like? What do we appear like to our culture? We had an opportunity to hear from Aaliyah as she spoke from the perspective of a college student in the year 2021. And I've been invited to come and speak to you as a, I'm going to date some of you in this room, a mid-30s person. I know some of you remember me when I was about Rayan's age, so that probably dates you a little bit. But I've, I've been invited to come and speak to you as a mid-30s sort of millennial. I'm what's known in that demographic space as an elder millennial. And we're going to get into what that means a little bit next week. But today I wanted to talk to you about this idea of an internal reset. Getting back to our original instructions. We're going to be pondering these questions. What does the what does the world see when they look at us? What program are we executing? What instructions are we following? We're reading today from 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 11 and 12. I think maybe you've read some of this already. Verse 11 begins, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We're walking through this verse as a refresher on how to be Christians in a culture that is different from us. Because as my dad has been speaking to you about these past many weeks, whether we like it or not, we are no longer living in a Christian culture as we once were. We can debate on what that means exactly and where that's more true and where that's less true. But I think it's probably obvious to each of you as you look around that the world is becoming increasingly disconnected from Christian standards and Christian ethics and Christian morals. Maybe the way that culture was when you were young. Verse 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. This isn't the first time that the church has found itself sort of different than the culture around it. This is not something new, perhaps new to us, but not new to Christians in general. It's important to remember here in verse 11, as Peter begins what he's saying, that he is addressing a scattered and persecuted church all throughout provinces of Rome in Asia Minor. This is a people who were being attacked, they were being persecuted, and they were being ridiculed in many ways. They found themselves very different in their thinking from the culture around them. But they knew something back then that we need reminded of right now. I want you to commit this idea to your memory or perhaps even write it down. And that is that we are not from here and we are not for here. 
We have enjoyed a, a period of time where Christianity was the thing. It was culturally the thing. Perhaps we're moving away from that time, but I want to remind you that that doesn't mean that this was ever our home. We are not from here and we are not for here. Just like the Christians that Peter was encouraging through his letters, we are not ultimately citizens of this world. We are not ultimately citizens of this country. We are involved in the affairs of this world, but our loyalty, our place, our calling is first and foremost as image bearers of Jesus Christ. And I want to know, when somebody is observing your behavior, when they're observing the things that you do and the things that you say, are they observing somebody who is caught up in this world? Or are they observing somebody who's not from here and headed somewhere else? I wonder if you've ever had this experience. Have you ever uh, been at work when a friend or coworker from work stops by on the day that they're leaving for vacation? Have you ever had this happen? I have. Uh, a, co a co-worker, I think he was coming by to pick up a check or something, and he, he, he rolls in. And this is a co-worker who I see uh, regularly, and he's wearing his work clothes, and he's there to work, and he has this attitude that we all have because we're there to work, right? But what does he do whenever he is on his way to vacation? He rolls in in flip-flops and shorts and a shirt. He's got sunglasses hanging off the back of his head. He is not intending to be here at work today, is he? He looks like somebody who's excited about where he's going, not who's caught up in where he is. When somebody looks at you, when they observe your behavior as a Christian, are they seeing somebody who is bogged down by the politics of the here and now? By the, the weirdness of culture here and now? Or are they looking at somebody who, man, they're dressed like they're headed somewhere else? They have an energy and an excitement like they are headed somewhere else. This is who we are called to be as salt and light in this world. Well, how do we do this? He continues in verse 11. He says, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Listen, God's people have always been called to be set apart. This began when he had that little interaction with Abram, who became Abraham, the father of nations, ultimately setting apart a, an inheritance, he calls it, for himself, the nation of Israel. He says to Abraham, through you I will bless all nations. Abraham didn't really know what that meant, but his faith in God, Scripture says, was credited to him as righteousness. Ultimately, we would see that story play out with the work of Jesus Christ. As Jesus walked this earth, lived, died, and rose again. This is the gospel. And as Christians, we carry on this legacy of being set apart. We are supposed to be different than the world. Otherwise, when everyone looks around, what would they see? One big gray blob. We'd look nothing different than what they see everywhere else. But we're called to be set apart. Except I think that we have forgotten a piece of what that means. 
This is the second thing that I would like for you to commit to your memory today. And it's this idea that we are former and current sinners. <gasps> Gasp. Aaliyah was so sweet to remind us a couple weeks ago of how even Pastor Mike is a sinner. <laughs> when I listened to this on the podcast, I said, Amen. <laughs> Why? Oh, it's my dad. Of course I know he's a sinner. When you live in close proximity with anyone, you see their best and their worst. And if it were reversed and someone were saying the same of me, my dad would certainly say amen too. Why? Because he's watched me rise and he's watched me fall. He's watched me succeed and he's watched me fail. And I've watched him do the same. My dad was not a perfect man, no surprise. But the one thing that he has always demonstrated for me and for, I believe, my brother and sister is that in the midst of his imperfections, his loyalty was still in God alone. Scripture is filled with sinners who were loved and used by God, not because of their perfect track record, but because of their loyalty, loyalty to him, their faith in him. Noah, he drank too much. Moses murdered somebody. David was an adulterer. Jonah just outright ran away from what God asked him to do. He was also a little bigoted towards the people that God was trying to reach. Rahab was a prostitute. Do you know what all these people have in common? They're considered heroes of the faith. They're in the hall of faith, as it were, in Hebrews. When people look at you, do they see somebody who has just always been sanctified? Always been perfect? Always had a handle on things? Or do they see someone who is a former and current sinner? As former sinners, we should talk about what Christ has saved us from. The world should know what it is that Jesus saved you from. When people look at you, do they know what Jesus saved you from? Don't, don't look at me and tell me you don't have a good testimony. Can I just share with you how bothersome this idea is to me? I've heard people say, I, I, my prayer is that my kids won't have a testimony. And I get what they're saying. They, they don't want their kids to experience terrible things and make terrible decisions that alter their life here and now. And that's a good thing as a parent. We want to lead the way. We want to teach the way for our children. But I invite you to consider if you don't believe you have a testimony... If you, if you claim that you follow Jesus and that he saved you, but you cannot articulate to me what it is that he saved you from, you just might have too high of an opinion of yourself. When the world looks at you, they need to know what it is that Jesus saved you from. Yes, you are being sanctified. Yes. You are, are changed. Yes, you walk in the newness of life. But don't forget your testimony about what it is that Jesus saved you from. Revelation chapter 12, uh, John speaks about hearing this loud voice. And I know Revelation can get confusing, but man, there's something good right here. 
This loud voice in, in John's vision says, Now have come the salvation and the power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him, listen, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Our testimony is so incredibly important. What Jesus has saved us from as former sinners is so incredibly important. I don't know how long you've been a believer. But don't forget to talk to the world about what it is that Jesus has saved you from. You are a former sinner. At once, you were in sin, just like the rest of the world. Please do not forget that. Lest they look at you and see someone they can never imagine being. We are also current sinners. Just as Jerry mentioned, if we're, if we're not careful and because of the work of Christ, we need Christ's work because sin has a way of creeping into our daily lives. We're, we're current sinners now. In fact, verse 11 here is saying that our sin wages war against our souls. This is a term that is active. It's present. It's happening right now. Our sin actively is waging war on our souls. There are a good many sins that reap earthly repercussions. I'm sure that you could name some of them. Cancer to the smoker, obesity to the glutton, STDs to the promiscuous. The ones that are obvious are obvious. But I want you to know that all sin wages war against our souls. Sin we can hide still harms us. It still wages war against us. It's still in the way of our calling as a light for Christ. And if we're not careful, it can still cause a plank to be in our eye. When, when people look at you, do they see someone who's honest about being a former and current sinner? Paul wasn't shy about his testimony. He called himself the least of the apostles because he participated in the persecution of the church before his encounter with Christ, right? It seemed to bother him, too. When you really read Paul's letters, it really it bothered him. He tells us that of sinners, he's the very worst. The apostle Paul says this. When speaking of a so-called thorn in his side that he was asking for God to remove from him, he tells us that God's response was, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on by saying, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses and insults. In hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul had a perspective about not where he was, but where he was going. 
When you get caught up in weaknesses of this world, in insults of this world, in hardships of this world, in persecutions of this world, in difficulties that happen because of this world, are you remembering that in your weakness here, God is made strong? When somebody looks at you, do they see someone who is comfortable in their weakness because they know they are strong in Christ? Or do they see, see someone who just, man, just seems to have it all together? Or perhaps they're a hypocrite and just hiding it. Now, you might be thinking, but Seth, it sounds a little bit like you're saying that as Christians, we should just keep on sinning. Well, to borrow more from Paul, I say to you, by no means. Paul tells us we have died to sin. Scripture makes it clear that as Christians, we have actually been given the only successful means to overcome sin. We have been buried with Christ and raised to walk in a new life. We're warned that going back to our old selves and our old sin is like a dog returning to its vomit. It's pretty gross. No, as, as Christians, God's kindness has led us to repentance. Our repentance should come coupled with confession. And what does confession bring us? Healing. James 5.16 says it like this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's hard to have healing over something that you won't talk about. It's hard for the world to know what you have been healed of if you won't talk about it. Sin is waging a war against us. And letting it go on in our lives on a daily basis is something like letting an enemy into our home and assuming just as long as we keep them in a different room, they will not harm us. We must fight back with the tools we've been given and we must show the world that there is victory to be had over the things that bind them. The world doesn't have hope apart from Christ. What does the world see when they look at you? Even if we have victory over something, if we proceed like it's not who we used to be, we are withholding from the world a clear picture. This is what our testimony is. We are withholding from the world a clear picture that they need to see just how powerful the saving grace of Jesus Christ truly is. I'm going to say it again just in case you missed it. Even if we have victory over something, if we proceed like that's not who we used to be, we are withholding from the world the clear picture that they need to see just how powerful the saving grace of Jesus Christ truly is. We have to know what it is that Jesus Christ saved us from, and we need to tell the world about it. So no, we must not keep on sinning, but we must be honest about where we came from and where we are going. In fact, Peter says this about the responsibility of the church in verse 12. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 
This isn't a, a phrase that should surprise you. Surely you've heard this before, but I remind us this morning that we don't go to church. We are the church. There is a world out there that is observing our behaviors. They are observing the way that we do things, that the way that we treat one another, the things that we care about, the things that we spend our time on. And as they observe your life, they are observing the church. If you are a Christ follower, if you have been called according to his purpose. And I'm probably not surprising you when I say that the standard view that a person of the world has of someone who calls them a Christian, calls themselves a Christian in the year 2021 is not necessarily very positive. We're going to talk a little bit more next week about the specifics and the breakdowns of that. But some of the labels that we carry today are, are not good. Some of these labels are terms like hateful, bigoted, homophobic, hypocritical, even racist. And you might be thinking, well, that's not fair. It's not true. It's persecution for them to say that about us. Well, in my observation, there is some truth to it. Maybe not of you in here, but of some who call themselves Christians somewhere. There is some truth to it, and there's some dishonesty in it as well, isn't there? In many ways, the church has become more known for what we're against than what we are about. That doesn't mean that all the negative things that the world says about us are true. In fact, we're in good company. You may not have realized this, but this message that Peter here is, is writing to the early church, man, they were completely misunderstood by their culture. They were misunderstood and mislabeled by their culture even back then as Peter was writing this in 1 Peter. Did you know that Christians uh, in the early church were accused of eating flesh and drinking the blood of babies? They were, they were said to have these agape feasts that were, in fact, wild orgies. It's probably a good thing the kids left, huh? They were accused of being antisocial because they didn't participate in society's immoral entertainment. Does that one sound familiar at all? And my favorite is they were accused of being atheists because they didn't worship idols. But over time, it was clear who Christians were because of what was shown by their lives. William Barclay in his study guide says it this way, the striking fact of history is that by their lives, the Christians actually did defeat the slanders of the heathen. In the early part of the third century, Celsus made the most famous and most systematic attack of all upon the Christians in which he accused them of ignorance, foolishness, and even being superstitious. But he never accused them of immorality. We are so quick to defend ourselves with words when there's actually something much louder that we can do that will win people over. We could live such good lives among the pagans that even though they accuse us of doing wrong, they see our good deeds and they glorify God. 
We're going to dig into this a little bit deeper next week on this idea of an external refresh. Today is more of an internal reset. Getting back to our original instructions. Do you know that the early church, the primary form of evangelism was they encountered Jesus and then they went and they let everybody know that they had encountered Jesus and what that he had saved them from. It was a pretty simple set of instructions. And I want you to know that there are unbelievers whose only contact with the church, their first contact with Christ, their first demonstration of the gospel isn't going to happen on Sunday morning at a service. It's not going to happen. It's probably not even going to happen on a YouTube video. It's unlikely that, that they will find themselves in a church service. There are people like that. It's the last thing on their minds. These unbelievers, their only contact isn't going to be with these things, but instead their first exposure to the love and light of Christ will be what they observe happening in your life. As Christians, we represent the movement of the church with our actions. And I want you to, to think of this idea of a refresh. I want to challenge you on this idea that it might be time that the church sort of turns itself on and back on again, off and back on again. Get back to our original instructions because sometimes we're so caught up in the things of this world that we don't look all that different from it. Next week, we're going to be digging into this idea of getting back to love and how we, how we approach people. We're going, to, we're going to dig into 1 Corinthians 9, verses 21 to 23, if you want to read ahead. And talk a little bit about Paul's methods as he went out and he reached the culture around them. But today, I want you to focus primarily internally and think about. What is it that Jesus has saved you from? When's the last time that you shared that with anyone? When's the last time you thought about it for yourself? Have you simply just always been saved? Because listen, if, if, if you can't articulate what it is that Jesus saved you from, you might just be playing religion instead of understanding faith. If you can't articulate what it is that, that, that Jesus saved you from, maybe you've just forgotten and you need reminded. Because the world needs your testimony, just like it needs mine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning that we've had to dig into 1 Peter. I pray, God, that we were honoring of your word, that we spoke only truth here today. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would um, take the words that were spoken here and illuminate them in the hearts and minds of those who are listening, whether that's today right here in these pews or whether that's on the live stream or on a replay later, whatever it might be. God, we know that apart from your power and your word, we're missing the truth and we're, we're missing it. And we don't want that to be the case. So we just commit this to you and we thank you for this time. Bless us this week as we go forward and seek to represent the testimony of how you've saved us to those that we encounter out in the world. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.